At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 565th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who helps others understand the value of small local farms. We're talking with Donna Kilpatrick about bringing food closer to home. With over 20 years experience in agriculture, Donna is a land steward specializing in regenerative agriculture and ecosystem health and abundance. She has been with Heifer USA since 2007, overseeing all agricultural enterprises on Heifer Ranch since 2017. Prior to returning to farming full-time, Donna was a volunteer for the Peace Corps in Ecuador, working with cattle and dairy farmers. She holds a degree in sustainable agriculture and literature from Warren Wilson College in Asheville, North Carolina, where she worked on the college farm, and a master's in nonprofit management from the New School in New York, New York. She is currently working toward her accredited professional status with the Savory Institute. Welcome to the show today, Donna. Are you ready to rock? So ready. Thank you so much, Greg, for having me. It is a pleasure to be here, and I'm really looking forward to sharing what we're doing at Heifer USA. Awesome. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure. I I think my path was a little bit unusual. And I I guess the place to start, since this is a podcast about agriculture, and I would say the place to start would be at Warren Wilson College. So for my undergraduate education, I, at the last minute, I was headed for another school. I was working (laughs) at a, yeah, I was working at a summer camp and someone said, you seem like the type of person that would go to Warren Wilson College in Asheville, which was in my backyard because I grew up in Brevard, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking to go further away to college and I hadn't considered it, nor had I really ever heard of it. And they were like, you should really look at it. I must have been maybe exhibiting a little bit of uncertainty about you know, the future and the college that I had chosen. Um, and they were like, it's right here. Let's go look at it. So we drove over and walked around the campus and I actually ended up bumping into it. It was a Sunday and the dean of admission happened to be on campus. Oh, my gosh. Chat- yeah. And we chatted and he said, why don't you just come in my office and fill out an application? Oh, that's yeah. magic happening there, I'll bet. No, seriously. Yeah. And so I did. And all of a sudden I'm going to Warren Wilson College. And what's really special about Warren Wilson, it's it's a liberal arts college with strong academics, a service component. So all students have to are, are invited to do community service and do that within the community um, a certain hour. And I'm sure it's changed since I've been there. But for me, the life-changing experience was the college work program. So all students, regardless of financial need, 
work in some area of the college and they happen to have a beautiful, robust, thriving this was in the early 90s. And, you know, I don't think the term regenerative agriculture was really being used then, but that's what they were doing. So just this abundant farm and I worked on it. I started out working on the pig crew. So it was a traditional farrowing, farrow to finish operation. But then I ended up sort of being pulled aside by the farm manager and trained on to do tractor work. So isn't it um, fun driving a tractor? You know, I, I, it's really weird. I know that some aspects of driving a tractor aren't the best for the environment, but I have a real affinity and I would even say gift for mechanical things. Mm -hmm. Um, So tractor driving is something that I've always done. And I ended up spending a lot of spring breaks, fall breaks, summer breaks working on that farm. In fact, I don't think I went went away for any of those breaks. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah. So it it literally changed my life. And from that and from graduate after I graduated from Warren Wilson College, a local dairy farm, a small I've worked at two dairy farms and later on in the in the talk, I'm sure we'll talk about the larger dairy farm that I worked on, but the small family dairy farm. I ended up going there to basically work as their dairy manager. So this was a job. I remember I remember going for the interview and it was a wonder it was a, a Democratic congressman in North Carolina. They now have a very famous grass finished operation so they converted from dairy to grass finished uh, beef and they're well known. But I went for the interview and it was a big family sitting around a table. The community came and I immediately knew that it was the place I needed to be because it had the same type of community feel that I had come from, from Warren Wilson. I also remember receiving my letter of acceptance for that position or offer. And I was so excited about it. And I went and I told my dad, I was like, I got this awesome job. And he was just like, you just got a liberal arts education and you're going to manage a farm. And I remember the pay was for $500 a month, wow. which, include, which included housing. All right. But I was just like, this opportunity, I can't. I know this is what I want to do with my life. And I can't, I can't let this go. And it turned, it turned out being just a phenomenal, phenomenal experience that just even more solidified the fact that I knew that I had found my calling and what really spoke to me. And that was working with animals and, and working with the land. Wow. Nice. And so from there you got to Heifer International? Oh no, there was a, then I was recruited by the veterinarian that came to preg check the cows at the farm Uh to come, to come work at his very, very large. I, I stayed at the small dairy farm for Oh, I don't know, maybe four years. And then I was recruited by the veterinarian that did our work at the at the farm to come work on his farm. And this was a very large, I would say, factory dairy. We uh-huh. milked 500, 500 head of cows three times a day. Wow. Um, and my job there was to AI, artificially inseminate the cows, work with him for health issues, calculate feed rations, that kind of thing. And I didn't like it. I really didn't like it. So I decided after about six months to do something different, that I knew that large agriculture wasn't my path. I had come from a dairy farm where we were planting lots of cover crops. And I have this old picture of 
um, the Holstein cow standing out. I believe, I think it was a field of, of rye, and I can't remember what was in that mix, but the 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 forage was up to their stomachs and they were just the most beautiful wow. cattle. Yeah, and it was just this stunning green pasture with these beautiful black and white cows and and I was at this other farm and the cows were always on concrete and I just didn't, you know, we were my job was to to calculate these feed rations that you know, were brought to the cows instead of the cows going out on pasture. And many dairies do that and that's fine. It just wasn't for me. So I decided to look into the Peace Corps, which was another thing that I felt like I would really enjoy doing. I'd always loved travel. And so I applied for the Peace Corps and was accepted and went and served as, I can't remember what my title was, but that doesn't matter. What basically I worked with farmers in Ecuador, just doing like health checks on their animals, emergency calls. I, you know, anything that people needed in the community. And I was in a very, very rural site. So, you know, someone, a farmer might have a problem with his cow and he would walk to my house and then we <laughs> would walk to his cow and work right. on the cow. I made a friend there, a woman who had a dairy cow and she would bring her cow to my yard in the morning and I would talk with her while she milked her cow. I mean, it was a, it was a wonderful experience and challenging. I think the isolation was the, was much more challenging than the work itself. Mm-hmm. After the Peace Corps, I came back and Warren Wilson College was looking for an admissions counselor. And I was looking for a job and I thought, you know, this, this college changed my life. I could definitely sell it. I don't mm-hmm. know what's involved with being an admission counsel, admissions counselor, but I can, I can definitely speak to this experience because it's been so profound for me. So I started doing this and I loved it. I, I recruited for Warren Wilson for five years. I was really lucky that I also got to help on the farm a lot. So I would fill in for the farm manager when he went on vacation. I was often, I'd be sitting at my desk at, at, at Warren Wilson and get a phone call. Donna, they're really behind on plowing at the farm. Could you change clothes and go down and drive a tractor? <laughs> nice. So I would do that. So it was really a wonderful position. And from there, I did a couple other jobs in, in college admissions. Um, but, you know, always in my heart was this this real pull to go back to agriculture. So, you know, I, I lived in New York City. I moved uh, to work for Eugene Lane College, which is the liberal arts division of the new school. And while I was there, I had the opportunity to do my graduate degree in nonprofit management um, oh, as nice. part of, yeah, as part of my employment. And within that graduate program, I I went to, there was a requirement to travel abroad again. And I I visited Uruguay and that experience, and it was a long trip. I think we were there for like two and a half weeks. But that experience, seeing the cattle out on the range really solidified again, just like, hey, this is what I want to do. So finished my degree and then sort of started looking for jobs in agriculture and the position at Heifer, Heifer, actually it was Heifer Farm in Rutland, Massachusetts opened. And I, you know, I thought, gosh, can I take this salary cut? You know, is this going to be feasible? And I just ended up deciding it was absolutely what I wanted to do. I knew Heifer International's reputation. Heifer USA 
is is where I work, and Heifer Ranch is where I work, and uh, that's part of a larger organization, which is Heifer International, and our mission is to end hunger and poverty and care for the earth, and I knew... Yeah, and I, from my growing up, I had received gifts from Heifer. Actually, in the Peace Corps, we were doing a cattle training. I can't remember the name of this town in Ecuador, maybe Santa Domingo, I believe. The cattle group, I was in the cattle group, we split off from the rest of the trainees. And I remember one night we were in the middle of the town shooting hoops. So they had a basketball uh, court and everybody would go there. And I kept noticing this group that always came and hung out with the community as well. There were lots of other nonprofits working in that area, but this group was unique. I've come to find out it was Heifer International staff. Um, <laughs> and it's just, I just remember thinking, wow, this, this group of individuals has really incorporated themselves into the community in a way that builds lasting relationships that enable true development work to happen. And so just from, you know, my childhood and knowing about Heifer to actually seeing in an action, I became very intrigued. So when this position came available at Heifer Farm, I jumped at the opportunity to apply for it and I got it and it's been fantastic. Wow. So I'm on Heifer Ranch's webpage at heifer, H-E-I-F-E-R.org. And it says for Heifer Ranch, it says a working farm practicing sustainable farming techniques and sharing that knowledge with other farmers through trainings and workshops. What is your job there? Sure. That is exactly what we do. I would say that we are a production ranch as well as a training center. And my job here, I'm over all agriculture at the ranch. My title is ranch manager and land steward. I was talking with Will Harris from White Oak Pastures recently on a webinar and and commented that we shared the same title, one that I'm really proud of, which is land steward, mm. uh, because I see that I see that as a as a job title that has no hierarchy. It's about stewarding the land. It's sort of the way I see it in some ways as my job is to sort of be the shepherd of the whole ranch ecosystem. And my job is to try to encourage in every way that ecosystem to thrive. So that's what I do. And I work with an amazing, gifted, talented team of folks. Wow. That, from what you've just shared with us over the past 14 minutes, that has to be a dream come true. It is a dream come true. And on top of it, I mean, first of all, it's for an amazing organization that's doing real valuable, life-changing work throughout the world. We're, we're working every day so that we don't have jobs. We're trying to end hunger and poverty. Mm-hmm. Hopefully at some point we will succeed. You know, that will be fantastic. But we also train smallholder farmers so that they can be profitable farmers in whatever area they choose, be it livestock farming or market garden growing, whatever that is. But yeah, I truly do believe that I have the best job in the world and it's on a beautiful piece of property. And you probably live there, right? Well, you know, I actually don't usually, but since the pandemic, my partner and I, we moved out to the ranch whenever this started. I don't even know. It it feels like sometimes it feels like the COVID crisis started yesterday and sometimes it it feels like it's been years, Yeah. Um, but I don't know, mid-March? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, We moved out to the ranch and, and that has truly... It's, it's been wonderful. I'm not, I'm, you know, I feel bad because I think about friends that are cooped up in an apartment and 
uh, we're out here with our pets and all the livestock uh, on 1,200 acres oh, in wow. a community. So we're in a community. So we get to we're in a we we call it the bubble. We try to we practice lots and lots of safety measures so that we all inside the bubble of the ranch can interact and have social events and it feels feels like a very close knit tight family. Wow, and you know that's a theme that I see that started in college for you. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I I think I really thrive in community. That that's something that's very important to me. Yeah, boy, I heard that. And so let's talk about regenerative and sustainable agriculture. And what what is it that you're doing there that is regenerative and sustainable? And I see both of those words on your website. Sure. Well, I believe that regenerative ag is a system of farming that's ecologically restorative. So what we're really focusing on, I mean, of course, we've got the production of the livestock to meet our market goals and all of those things. But at the base of that is this desire and this focus to rehabilitate the land. And for us at the ranch, it's quite a daunting task. Over the last, I would say, 30 years, we've gone through different focuses in terms of what we're what we're doing with this land. And we've, you know, sometimes it's been agriculture, sometimes it's been a focus on uh, bringing in educational groups, school groups, and faith-based organizations to learn about Heifer International's global work. But right now, and I think this will be forever, our focus is on regenerative agriculture and working hard um, to help the cooperative that we work with, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute, it's grassroots cooperative, um, helping that business thrive, which it is. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically what we're doing. It's about production, but it's also about teaching. Oh, nice. And so let's talk about the Grassroots Farmers Cooperative. What What is that and how did it come to be? Yeah, well, Grassroots is a farmer, farmer-owned cooperative. Heifer USA helped start it back in 2014. So what it is, is an e-commerce platform that basically supports and trains smallholder farmers, many of which are living in marginalized communities and rural communities. It teaches them how to farm and then provides markets for this e-commerce platform that we sell from. Um, We currently have about 30 farmers within the cooperative. We're training new farmers now. We're actually working with a group of uh, black farmers in Mississippi, training them for pork production. So that's a very exciting new project, bringing in new farmers from a marginalized community. So that's what Grassroots does. And we also work with Cypress Valley Meat Company. So it's basically a vertically integrated system where we've got production from the farmers, distribution from Grassroots Cooperative, and then the fabrication of the product from uh, Cypress Valley Meat Company. Wow. And it sounds like it's fairly successful. Well, I think a lot of people are finding right now during this pandemic that e-commerce, especially with food products and especially with, you know, regeneratively grown or sustain sustainably grown products, people are really interested in that, in that. First, from the ease of having it delivered at your doorstep, but also I believe, and this is just my opinion, from a health perspective, yeah. in a moment of crisis when people are really concerned about their health, 
there are products out there that can be more beneficial in helping you thrive as a human being than other products. So, yeah. So in this cooperative, so you've been intimately involved working with it then for a while. Mm -hmm. Tell me about, there's got to be one moment in time where something happened with you and one of the farmers. And for you, it was like, oh my gosh, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah, I don't know that there that I can say that there's been a moment with a farmer because Heifer Ranch has actually been a production arm of grassroots. So when I say that we have production at, at, at Heifer Ranch, one of the things that we're doing is growing. We have really scaled up our production in livestock um, to help meet the market demand that grassroots is experiencing. And as they expand their company, we're helping to, to provide that product. I would say my aha moment with grassroots is from a farmer perspective and realizing the benefits of being able to focus on farming. So what grassroots does is they do all the stuff that takes so much time. I mean, you think about a farmer that goes to a farmer's market and all the time that goes into picking the product, putting it on the truck, packing the tables, getting the tent ready, being away from your farm, driving to the farmer's market, setting up. One Saturday, you might have $2 in sales. The next Saturday, you might have $1,000 in sales. So just not, you know, it, it, it's it's really hard work. Yep. Um, it's, hard to, it's hard to get your name out there. Yep. And I think the key to it is building relationships with people that come to the farmer's market. And that's work. Building relationships is. is work. So I, my, my moment for grassroots is, oh my gosh, we get to focus on what we do well, and that is farm. So we get to raise livestock, we get to focus on their health, we get to focus on the land, we get to do all those things, and grassroots as an organization does all the marketing, does the distribution, aggregation, all of those things they take care of. Wow, and I tell people all the time, being a farmer and growing food for people is only 50% growing. The other 50% is picking, packing, marketing. I actually, when I was in college, I went back to college late in life in uh, 1999 and 2000. And one of my jobs while I was in college was farming my front and backyard. And I hit a farmer's market market every week. And it's a lot of work. And the thing you said about relationships, the thing that I found is that when I was there every week, I always did better. If I missed a week or two, it negatively impacted my bottom line. So you're right. It is a lot of work. It is. And why is it so important these days that we get new farmers trained? Well, I think, I, I think on a national, on the, the national average is what farmers are in their sixties or yep. I, 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 yeah, 61, okay. I think 61. Okay. So we have an aging farmer population, you know, with most, with most farms that are successful, big farms, industrialized farms, is that really attractive? Is that an attractive lifestyle for a young person? Not really, in my opinion. So I think I think that there's a growing knowledge, a, a growing a, a growing interest in this idea that, you know, I actually could have a small piece of land and have, you know, a market garden and be successful at it. And I don't. I don't have to do it at an industrial scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think people are learning that. And, you know, places like Heifer USA, other places throughout the country are providing opportunities for people to come in and learn and learn what it takes to get up and going. Yeah. And we really need young farmers right uh-huh. now. 
big time, big time. Yeah. And I can't tell you, so in over 550 episodes of my podcast, one of the threads that I consistently hear from people who run farms is that really smaller is better. Yeah, I, I think it's, a. I mean, I think it's important to be profitable. Yes. I think you have to find that scale where yep. you can be profitable. But I think that small farms provide can provide an amazing life, a rich life. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think diversity is important as well in terms of having a really diverse ecosystem. And that's what, you know, that's what I really thrive on. Yeah. So you guys do webinars, Facebook trainings. Tell me about that. Just as we've scaled up our production in agriculture, we have also really scaled up the amount of trainings that we're offering to the public. I would say within the last year, we have increased the number of digital opportunities that we have out, either on YouTube or Facebook Lives. And it can be anything as small as, you know, me out there talking about this little pollinator garden that I put in down in the bottoms of the ranch um, to attract beneficial insects to an hour YouTube video on chicken production, uh, pastured chicken production or pork production and everything in between. So just like lots of, I've talked mostly about livestock, but, but our gardener, our market gardener, he does lots and lots of pot of uh, Facebook lives mm -hmm. and other, you know, content that we put out on social for people. And, and, and we really have gotten a lot of positive response from it. Nice. Yeah. I'll tell you what, especially in COVID year 2020, the interest yeah, for people exactly. taking yeah. our classes, because we we do, well, we started in March doing daily gardening classes. We do them twice a week now. And mm -hmm. the amount of interest has skyrocketed in the yeah, past, you know, this year. So I think as horrible as COVID has been, and I would never want to downplay the the hardships that it has caused there have been a few good things that have come out of it. And that is, in my opinion, it's relationship building, families, new ways of relating with one another. And then also just this this new sort of this interest in growing your own food. Like, well, I can grow some tomatoes in my backyard. Or what about having a chicken that would lay our eggs mm -hmm. instead of going to the grocery store? So there's been a, a real uptick in interest in that kind of thing, which I think is very positive. Oh, big time. Big yeah. time. I, I think I've said this for years. The most important thing we can be doing right now is figuring out where our food comes from and how to grow our own. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. I mentioned the large dairy farm that I worked on, and that was a failure. I, I believe that I said that I decided to leave that job, but I, I actually ended up mutually. I would say it's the only job I've ever been fired for, and, I, and that was a huge blow to me because mm -hmm. I take my work extremely seriously, and I love – my work. And I grew up in a family that just instilled this work ethic. Like my dad, I'm not sure he really loved what he did, but he did it for 35 years. And I don't think he would have ever thought, well, this isn't really fun. I'm going to go do something else. He just had this incredible work ethic where he felt like he needed to stick with the job. Mm -hmm. And I think that I carry some of that so to realize in this big industrial dairy job that, man, this was not for me. 
I wasn't the right person for them. And, you know, we had a, my sister was getting married and I called and asked for the day off and he said no. And I was like, oh, I, I'm the maid of honor. I have to be there. And I was just like, you know what, this isn't going to work. And I think it was, he was just about ready to say, well, you're fired. So it was devastating because I had never just quit a job and I had never been an employee that was on the verge of being terminated. So it just like, it sort of, it just sort of really hurt. Mm. Um, and I, I thought about it for a long time and I worried about it and, and I just realized, you know what, this is not the type of farming I want to do. And that's okay. It's okay to quit a job. It's okay to move on to something that you really want to do. And the Peace Corps was something that I wanted to do. And 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 by ending that employment, that provided me the opportunity. I didn't have another job to go to. I didn't have any debt. I was just like, I can do this. Nice. Uh, so it ended up being a really good thing, but a hard lesson. Oh, yeah. Well, that's this is the reason that I ask this question, because yeah. often the failures lead to bigger successes. First of all, we learn from them. And secondly, if we're as focused as you and I are, magic happens on that end. Sure. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. And the most so I've been self-employed for all of 45 years and had many different businesses along the way. And I've had jobs along the way that I've gotten fired from. And for me, the most exciting points are the end points where it's like, okay, what's next? What sure. do I, you know, cause that's, that's like, what do I get to create that's more cool for me? Right. Yeah. And you do what you love. Absolutely. What do you consider your biggest success? I think, you know, I think I would say my biggest success would be, be to go against the grain and go into farming when everyone thought I was insane. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I wanted to do this. I wanted to do it full time. I knew that's where my passion was. I had, you know, gone to college. I had done all the things that you're supposed to do to get you set up in, you know, whatever profession you choose. And for most people, it's not farming. But I found at Warren Wilson, I found my tribe of people. I found what I, I, I was in a, I was at a Savory training recently and we were talking about Alan Savory was mentioning something about a unique, what everyone has a unique genius. And I just thought that was so interesting. And then he said, it's the thing that you do that you forget to eat. <laughs> right. And that's farming for me. Yeah. And I just knew that I just had to do it. Yeah. Well, that's that's when we're so plugged in to doing what our heart's work is that you forget to eat. I got yeah. it. <laughs> nice. And what drives you? I really enjoy, you know, it's so funny. Over, I, I, what, I, I'm going to answer the question, what drives me now? Because that has changed in farming over the years. And it's not necessarily about production it's about how the whole ranch environment is flowing and how the ecosystem health is doing. What drives me is driving down into the bottoms, which our ranch is 1,200 acres, and we have an upper campus, which is, you know, beautiful. Lots of little fields and conference center and housing spaces and we have room for a hundred people to come and have meetings here. It's a beautiful, beautiful ranch. But when you get down into the bottoms where the public doesn't see, 
And that's where the heart of my work in agriculture happens. And I, I, you know, I, I do these early morning drives into the bottoms and try to catch the sunset down there as often as I can. And recently that's been a lot as we've been living here at the ranch during COVID. But what drives me is when I see a new species of bird I haven't seen. Mm. Or when I'm wa- I do pasture walks and I see a plant that I haven't seen before. Or, oh my gosh, today, for example, I planted this this tiny little pollinator garden down in the bottoms to attract beneficial insects. And today I was driving, I had been doing some brush hogging for actually a really interesting civil pasture experiment that we're going to do with uh, USDA. And I had to clear this spot of land so that I can no-till drill these seeds into the ground soon. Um, And I was driving back from that and I glanced over at the pollinator garden and one of the sunflowers had flowered. And it, it was just open and yellow and it had, it was doing its thing. And there's probably, I don't know how many sunflowers are in that garden, maybe a thousand, I don't, a lot. And so just new additions to the ranch that, you know, it, it's not that big of a deal. It's a sunflower, but it means that the work that we're doing in diversifying what we have growing down in the bottoms, our forage, the birds, it means that it's actually working. And a couple of weeks ago, another story, a couple of weeks ago, and one day we kept, we caught two high swarms of honeybees. And I was talking with the gardener who caught them. And I was like, Sean, do you think, he was like, this is really rare to catch two swarms yeah, in one day. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, do you think the work that we're doing is actually working? Like, do you think this this regenerative agriculture work is working in that we're actually attracting more species of butterflies and insects and all of those things and he was like yeah i do i think i think we're on track i think it's working yes. it's so unheard of to catch two swarms in a day that's what drives me without a doubt cool in that, you mentioned something that I just want to touch on briefly, because I think I want to have you come back and talk about it more deeply. Silvopasture. Mm-hmm. Say a little bit about what that is. Sure. Yeah. So silvopasture, it is um, incorporating trees, pasture, and livestock together. So what we have at the ranch is, you know, I think I talked before about In the history of the ranch, there have been ebbs and flows of what we're doing with agriculture. And and, and one of the times where agriculture wasn't so much the focus, we planted a lot of pasture and pine trees. So the planting started in 2014 and they continued until, I believe, in 2017 they stopped. And we've got different stages of growth. And some of those areas we opened up even further and incorporated um, livestock into them. So, for example, in our pig production, we have, we're growing this year 360 finished hogs for Grassroots Cooperative. Those pigs, I wish I could, I'll send you a picture. Uh, Those pigs just flourish under our pine trees. Oh, that. It's spectacular to see the work that they've done. And Christine Hernandez, who manages that enterprise, she does such an amazing job, and we're so lucky to have her. She has just moved those pigs through acres and acres of pastures until the undergrowth has now been changed from you know, built up 
pine straw that's been there for years and years to you can actually see grass growing and it is beautiful um and that's through the work of the animals um so you know we have different state we have different areas of civil pasture the area that i'm working on uh with the this uh test that i'm doing with the usda is it's actually with sorghum sudan and different planting methods between rows of pines and see how that does We're also going to be doing tests with them on Kernza, which is a very interesting plant, a perennial wheat that I believe, I don't know that much about it, so I don't want to embarrass myself. But (laughs) But this is how we learn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I know that Wes Jackson at the Land Institute has been working on this for many, many years, and we're going to be doing uh, a plot of that here as well. Yeah. Wow, cool. And um, you brought his name up. I love one of his quotes, and I'm paraphrasing here. If you're not planning out 100 years, you're not thinking big enough. Exactly. Nice. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? I love Alan Savory's work, and I just shout out there. And Gabe Brown's recent book, uh, Dirt to Soil, really has influenced my life. Um, But what I'm really into right now um, is an author by the name of Charles Massey. He wrote a book called Call of the Reed Warbler. Um, and the reason that I like this, and it's similar, similar to Gabe Brown's book, the reason that I like it is it's stories of personal, it's personal stories of trials, failures, successes, working in agro, mostly, actually, it's mostly working in building the soil, so regenerative agriculture. And I just like the fact that it's so candid and I can resonate with that because I feel like so much of what we're doing at the ranch is trial and error, just trying to build our ecosystem. And that's what this book is about. And it's absolutely beautifully written. Happens, it's, he's, he's Australian. So it's a little bit different farming perspective that I'm used to, different climate. But I, it's a very, it's one of the most profound books that I've read. Wow. Part of the reason I asked this question is for personal reasons, Mm -hmm. because I'm always looking for something new to read. I'm Mm -hmm. on the website for this, Call of the Reed Warbler, A New Agriculture, A New Earth. Yeah, fantastic book. Wow. Everyone should read it. All right. I'm I'm actually ordering it uh, as soon as we get off. Yes, thanks for that. Please Uh, let me know what you think. All right, I will. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I, you know, I know this is going to sound really corny, but I think that it's really important that people find what is their unique genius and regardless of the obstacles, work as hard as they can to, to be able to, for a profession, do what they love, whatever that is. If it's farming, if it's sewing, if it's juggling, whatever it is, whatever makes your heart thrive, that's what you should do. And there's a way to do it. Amen to that. This is one another one of the big reasons I do this podcast is to get people out of jobs they hate and following their heart. And you just exemplified that amazingly in the past uh, 40 minutes or so. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. And how can our listeners get a hold of you? Let me give you my email is Donna, D-O-N-N-A dot Kilpatrick at Heifer, H-E-I-F-E-R dot org. And then you can also just follow our social. That would be under Heifer USA for Instagram and Facebook. And I actually do quite a few of the postings. And then again, I'm on I'm on a couple of podcasts, and then I do some of those Facebook lives. So please just tune in. And I'm 
pretty good about answering questions and getting back to people. And I love to meet new people. So please don't, please reach out. I'd love to talk with people. Nice. That's one of the big reasons. Another big reason that I do this podcast is I I get to connect with cool people like you. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It was fun. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash heifer ranch. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the urban farm podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.